Well, hey, everyone. Man, it is so good to see you guys. Um, if we haven't met, yeah, hey, thanks, man. <laughs> thanks, Nicola. Uh, you guys, if we, haven't, if we haven't met, my name's Andrew. I'm one of the pastors, and I'm thrilled you made it. Today has some special significance for me. I've been, I've been traveling a little bit. The last 10 days, I've been in uh, Brazil um, with one of our partners, Justice, Compassion, and Hope, which is an incredible ministry. Um, Ali Kelly is the president and founder. Chris, are you and the kids here today? Yes, in the back. Okay, so Chris, uh, Stephanie, and Jonathan, would you guys please stand? Sorry to put you on the spot. They probably hate this right now, but would you please put your hands together for this family? So um, for the last two months, they've been without their mom and wife uh, because um, Ali, who's uh, from this area, we're going to call Itarema, Brazil, she's been there uh, serving and working with this ministry that she founded. I, I'm excited to tell you a bit about that today as we get into our message here. But um, you guys have made a ton of sacrifices the ministry that your family is a part of, you guys are an equal part of, is incredibly powerful. I was so inspired and quite frankly, humbled by the opportunity to serve with your wife, with your mom, and uh, I cannot wait for the future and how we are able to contribute, hopefully in a really deep and meaningful way over the course of the next several years. Um, so if you guys were following us on Instagram, you've probably heard so far um, on, on Monday, um, Moses and I, Moses was with me, uh, we were in a, a, a little uh, town outside of Itarema, Brazil, and we came aware of a situation that we knew you needed to know about. And that was, um, uh, we were uh, delivering food uh, to, this, to this home where there was a, a family of orphans uh, ranging from age five to 15. And throughout the course of the conversation, uh, not me, but the really skilled um, workers with justice, compassion, and hope discovered, uncovered that these, these kids, in addition to losing their parents and grandparents, were also being sexually abused. They're being trafficked, most likely by an uncle. And um, so um, this like awakened uh, uh, just a, a fire and a passion in me because I really connected with those beautiful kids. They reminded me a lot of my own kids. And so um, I recorded a quick voice memo or video, and Lauren on our team posted it to Instagram. All this family needs is 10,000 US dollars in order to make the home that was passed down to them by their parents livable so that they can live there. And then their adult uh, sister, excuse me, and her husband can, can move in and protect them. Right now, they're going from house to house and being taken advantage of. And so we, when we learned that it was only 10,000 US dollars, which granted is a lot of money, but given the desperate need that they had and the relative affluence that we have as a community here in Bend, Oregon, we knew that we could do something. And like I said, as soon as I found out about it, I, I just knew we were the people of Jesus who had walked into that space and we saw with our own eyes these kids who needed, desperately needed help. And remember, Jesus, through the prophet John, in the first letter um, in chapter 3, John says that, let us not love with just word and tongue, but in deed and in truth. And whoever, has, uh, whoever sees a brother in need and yet closes his heart against them, how can the love of God abide in him? Wow. 
And so we knew that right then that that verse was just reverberating in my spirit and I knew that we had to do something. So I just, first of all, I want to say thank you because as of this morning when we checked around 7 a.m., $6,500 had come in over the past six days, which is an incredible number. So thank you so much for uh, your, uh, your generosity. And uh, basically, we, we'd really love to, by the end of today, get all the way to $10,000. It will literally mean life or death for these kids. Um, they've already been systemically uh, abused in many different ways over the course of the last year, and this is one small way that we can help. So um, gen genuinely, from my heart to yours, for those of you who have already opened your hearts to these people and have already given to the giving campaign, I thank you, and let's see if we can get the rest of the way there today. And I know that for some of you, you might be feeling like, gosh, man, like, I don't know. I, I don't really have that much. I don't really know if I can give and support. One of the things that we know for sure is that when we are generous, like Jesus has been generous with us, he doesn't withhold any good thing from us. There have been many times in my life where God has called our family to, to give above and beyond what we would ordinarily give to help people in need, and it's always come back to us in ways that we didn't expect. And so I just want to challenge you with that. Humbly, just uh, um, we're not after your money. every single penny. Uh, of what we raise is going to go directly to help this family. So um, at the end of the gathering, we're going to show you how you can give if you haven't already. And again, thank you so much to those of you who have already gotten started. So what we're going to do is we are going to have a uh, teaching from the scriptures, as we always do. We orient our life around the teachings of Jesus, and we want to just put into practice what he's taught us. So would you please stand with me for the reading of the scripture? This is week three of our study in the book of Galatians, or the letter to the Galatians written by Paul the Apostle. Uh, last week, Brooke taught on the first five verses, sort of the intro into the main um, part of the work here, or the book. And uh, today, we're just continuing uh, right where we left off. So this is verse six. I'm astonished that you are so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. Evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion and are trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. But even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And as we have already said, so now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. This is the word of the Lord. You can go ahead and have a seat. So Heavenly Father, we come before you now eager to learn from you, eager to hear your voice, eager to be transformed by the words that are spoken. God, we thank you for your word that gives life. And we also just ask, God, would you convict our hearts? And in this polarized time that we're living in and all of the evil that we observe around us, God, would you prevent us from the prideful attitude of pointing fingers at others? And would you teach us to go introspective and receive the conviction of the Holy Spirit for the sake of our own maturity in Christ? And Jesus, ultimately, we know where our hope is at. We are longing for, like we sang, 
We're longing for you to return, to come back, to restore your peace. Where things like the story I just told that I witnessed with my own eyes, God, would just be a thing of the past. That every human of every color, of every tribe, of every nation, of every ethnicity, every woman, every child, every man would truly be honored as you designed us to be, as humans made in the image of God. And would we think rightly and about all of these things? And would we not believe in any lie or be distracted by anything that gets us off the plot of your redemption? And would we be laser focused on the work that you have for us? In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. So um, let me tell you this story of this uh, beautiful woman named Jimmy Lay. This is the woman whose house we visited on Monday. And Moses and I kind of knew the routine. The goal was to go and to deliver some food. And by the way, that by itself was a mini miracle because this family um, of orphaned children had spent several days without any food at all. Zero, no food. In fact, they, uh, they had like maybe a little bit of cornmeal that was bug infested and that was literally all that they had. And so they had been praying that there would be, that God would care for them in some way. They don't have any income. They don't have any way to earn money. They're orphaned kids. And we, we showed up a couple of days after they had ran out of food and we were able to bring not even what you and I would consider a meal because they didn't have a way to refrigerate the food or whatever. It was just a really, really primitive existence. And so we were able to bring things like more cornmeal and some rice and some beans and very, very basic things like that. But you remember, Moses, we saw their, 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 their tears well up in their eyes and the joy in their hearts that we were able to bring them a little bit of something. So that was incredible. And then the rest of the time, we were just was just meant to, to um, t- tell stories and to get to know one another and to share. And uh, there was uh, three, three young kids. One was 15, one was 10, and one was five. And I have a four-year-old and a nine-year-old, and I really saw a lot of my kids in those kids. And so we were playing, and they only had, I think, like a little few pieces of chalk and like a little toy truck, and that was all that they had. But Moses and I were playing with them as much as we could, and we had a blast getting to know them, throwing them up in the air, all the fun stuff that we got to do. And then after about an hour or so, we just laid hands on them and we prayed that God would be with them. We're Jesus people. That's what we do. We pray for the power of God to come alongside his people and comfort him. So that's what we did. And so for, for me, it was, it was a fairly what I expected kind of uh, in, interaction. This is what I was expecting to see when we got there. We were able to pray for them, care for them, and then we left. But when we got back into the car to move on to the next assignment, we learned that the expert team with justice, compassion, and hope had seen something and observed some things that we had no idea of. I was completely oblivious to. Uh, But they told us, and they began to sort of unfold the story of what they observed because, again, these are trained and skilled workers in the area of anti-sex trafficking. And they began to tell us what we didn't see. So what it seemed like a normal sort of interaction to me was anything but that. They, they said that I'm not going to share with you the specifics because it was quite graphic and would potentially be traumatizing to some of you who experienced some kind of sexual abuse in your past. But they just began to share with us that these kids, it had been clear, had been sexually like 
trafficked and abused repeatedly um, over the course of the last year, probably since their parents and grandparents had passed away. And um, I knew that this kind of thing existed and this kind of evil existed. And I've done a reasonable amount of learning on this subject through my friends like Ali and others, Geneva, who work in this, in this, um, kind, in this field. But um, I had come from a pretty sheltered and privileged place. I'd never really seen it with my own eyes. And when I did, and my heart just completely broke for these kids. I, I just don't know how to put it into words. I'm still sort of reeling from it. And there's just everything in me to not um, just want to go back and, and do whatever I can to help fix the situation. But again, what, was a, what felt like something I would have totally missed, felt like a normal interaction, was not a normal interaction. And the difference was that, again, I don't, don't have the skill, Moses and I didn't have the skill or experience to be able to see the signs of sex trafficking versus a trained expert like the people at Justice, Compassion, and Hope. And by the way, deeply grateful for that expertise. So all of that is to say this. Um, it reminds me of this quote from Henry David Thoreau, where he says, it's not what you're looking at that matters, it's what you see. So he's saying, what he's saying is, it's perspective on reality is, is what truly and actually matters. And, and this is the situation that we found ourselves in, both the Ali and her counterparts saw the exact same thing that I saw. They witnessed the exact same thing, but they were able to see under the surface of what was actually going on to see the exploitation and the oppression and were grateful for that work. And this is exactly what Paul is essentially talking about too in Galatia. And this is the situation that he's writing about and if you missed the last couple of weeks, maybe some of this is a bit new for you. If you're a student of the Bible, maybe it's not. But he says, he, Paul is basically saying to the Galatians, hey, listen, we're both looking at the same thing. There are these people who are coming to town who are teaching an alternative message. And you're confused by it. And you're being sort of thrown around and tossed around by this other sort of message and this alternative gospel and you're failing to see just how dangerous the situation is and just how dangerous the quasi-gospel message is. So again, if you missed the last couple of weeks, let me catch you up in about 30 seconds. I know I can do this quickly because we've got a lot of ground to cover, okay? So stick with me if you can. In the early 50s AD, uh, Paul and Barnabas had only just planted um, the church in Galatia. They had gone on a missionary journey all throughout this region of Galatia. And they had shared the gospel to both Jews and Gentiles, and the church had become multicultural by design in the first day. And already it's starting to break apart, and the church is starting to splinter and is going to fail. And the reason why is because there are these other Jewish Christian leaders, well-meaning but wrong-headed, who came and began to spread this message that in order to be saved, you have to trust in Jesus which is the part that Paul covered, but you also have to basically become Jewish. You have to follow all of the Jewish laws. You have to trade in your culture. You have to trade in your national identity, your family of origin, and you need to follow the law of Moses instead. Right? So this is a, um, a unique problem to the first century that may still exist somewhere today. It's not exactly our problem, but there's tons of correlations 
uh, in the church today about ways that we sort of make divisions where we shouldn't and require things of people that we certainly should not. And uh, so this is how I sort of envision this happening. The Bible doesn't get into tons of detail on the actual historical events that took place, but this is what I picture. Uh, Paul and Barnabas get back from their missionary journey. They land at this city called Antioch, and they, again, launch these multicultural churches, Jews and Gentiles of every kind. The, the, uh, the, the region of Galatia is really diverse uh, for the first century. It's probably way more diverse than uh, Central Oregon, if I can uh, be so bold. Um, <laughs> And, and, and then these, these misguided Jewish Christians, they sort of follow where Paul and Barnabas had been, and they show up at all of these churches, and they say things like, yeah, we, we love Paul. It's so, so great. I'm so glad that he came. so glad that he had all of these really powerful things to say about Jesus, and good on you for trusting, on, trusting in him and trusting in the message. That's really great. However, that's really only the start. He kind of diluted it for all of you. Um, especially those of you who are Gentiles, because there's all of this other stuff as well. He kind of got you started, but I'm going to fill in the gaps for you. And so here's the Mosaic law. Here's what all of the traditions and the customs are of the law. And you really need to start living these things as well. And unless you do, you don't actually belong. You're not actually saved. You're not in the family of God. Jesus hasn't covered your sins, and you're not one of us yet. So you need to, again, trade in your cultural customs for hours. And again, uh, Acts chapter 15 details this story. I, I quoted a big chunk of it last uh, two weeks ago. But uh, for today, just one verse. Certain people came down from Judea to Antioch and were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised, according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Ancient sort of ritual that meant to signify a man was, was Jewish and it was signaling essentially that you're on board for the whole Mosaic covenant. So Paul and Barnabas are not having this. One thing I love about Paul, maybe because I relate to it at least slightly, is that he's an intense person. And he doesn't back down from a fight. In fact, on his first missionary journey, um, he went to uh, probably about five or six cities to, to plant churches, three of which were in Galatia. And at each one of those, he almost lost his life because people were trying to get him to shut up. But he refused to stop. And in fact, in one of those stories, you may remember, he was beaten within an inch of his life to the point where they thought he was actually dead. And then he woke up several hours later, wandered right back into the same city where he had just almost been killed to keep going with the work that he had. So this dude had some, some passion. He had some resolve. And he had some boldness. And that's exactly what this moment required. This moment in the first century AD, it required this kind of intensity and it required this kind of boldness. And I think that we're living in a similar moment today where we need to wake up to the urgency and the reality of the gospel that may be in parts of the Western evangelical church beginning to erode around us. And we need to stand on the firm foundation of what Jesus taught us and do not back down from that, whatever that may bring. Amen? So Paul gets into this, this like feud, is what he does. He gets into a big fight. And uh, he comes by it honestly. Because if you remember, 15 years ago, Paul was like the anti-Jesus violent activist, essentially like a religious terrorist, going around the places around Judea and essentially 
um, trying to kill anyone who trusts in Jesus because he was a law guy. He was all about the Mosaic law. So it wasn't like Paul was an anti-law person. He actually was, he had grown up in the Jewish tradition and all of the customs and was passionate about it. And yet now, 15 years later, he's becoming the biggest advocate for Gentiles entering the church and not being required to follow all of those customs. So uh, essentially, as he becomes this advocate, he's responding to the critique because essentially what, those, what the Bible calls Judaizers were doing is they were critiquing his message. They were saying, you know, he got it kind of right, but he diluted it. You need more. Here's what it is. You need to follow these instructions. He was accusing him of being simple-minded and, and everything else. But what he's saying is, no, 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 you guys, you're missing the point altogether. He's saying this message about Jesus is the prophetic fulfillment that God intends to unite all things, every tribe, tongue, and nation, every uh, type of person and personality under one family and under one king. We all belong to him now. So you don't have to become Jewish to belong. You actually come as you are, and Jesus is the one who unites us all. So the things that threaten to divide us and break us apart are not nearly as strong as the power of the presence of Jesus that unites all of us. That is Jesus' message. Amen. Thank you for the agreement. <laughs> and essentially, we're at surface, we're at level one of the depth of this feud that Paul's having with the Judaizers. But really, what we need to see and what Paul is really getting at is layers deeper. And basically, what he's accusing the Judaizers of is you're not seeing your Gentile brothers and sisters, you're not appreciating who they are, that the differences don't weaken the faith, they actually strengthen the faith. And this is a part of God's plan and redemption project all along, was to restore not just one family, but all of the families of the earth will be blessed through Messiah, through King Jesus. And he's saying, listen, the life of Jesus, it changes everything about how I see the people around me. It gives me grace for, for everyone. It actually allows me to see that, it, that people don't have to become a part of my tribe in order to become a part of the family of God, but that we are all one in Christ and we're united in Christ. And because you're not able to see one another, it's causing mass confusion. I picture the rhetoric in Galatia kind of like this. Man, like we used to be able to like, laugh together. We used to eat over at each other's houses and it was a lot more fun and we saw each other's differences as strengths and it was great, but, but now we're suspicious of each other. We can't handle the differences that we have with each other. We're, we're, we're suspicious and our relationships are becoming way more fragile. It didn't used to be like this. Why are our relationships so fragile? Does that sound like Maybe what we're going through in 2022, in our time and space. See, we need to see each other through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of the kingdom of God, not from the vantage point of our media outlet of choice. Somebody, please, agree. Ah, woo! I got some agreement there, too. We need to... Uh, see each other through the lens of the gospel and through the lens of Jesus, not from our political, political ideology, 
or from our tribe's point of view. Paul's saying that's actually a different gospel at work. And if it's not crystal clear for you yet, I promise it will be here in the next couple of minutes. But he's saying that's not just kind of like agree to disagree type stuff. That's you're sharing, you're spreading, you're bringing a different gospel and it's not from him. So Paul is responding to his critics by arguing that the gospel that he's preaching, it isn't diluted at all. In fact, it's tying together the big long drama of God's plan of redemption from the very beginning since the fall. And he's anchoring the gospel or his gospel, his telling of the gospel, he's anchoring it in the work, the life, and the vocation of Jesus. And so he's saying, no, 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 this is not a dilution. This is like the the most potent gospel that there is. And it's centered around King Jesus. So we're going to just kind of go through the text line by line. I'm going to pick out a couple of things, just a few quick observations, and then we'll wrap up with uh, some reflections as we pray and close. So he says, I'm astonished. You're so quickly deserting the one who called you to live in the grace of Christ and are turning to a different gospel, which is really no gospel at all. So he's saying, man, I'm really surprised that you're abandoning my teachings so quickly. Remember, Paul was the one who by his blood, sweat, and tears, and of course, the spirit of God and the commissioning of God, and with Barnabas' help, he's the one who is birthing these churches in the power of the spirit. And so he's the one who taught the gospel from his own mouth and from his own lips. And he's saying, I, 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 really, guys, I can't, I can't understand. I, I, I'm, I'm astonished. I'm shocked that you would have abandoned what I taught you so quickly. I thought you were with me on this. I thought you understood it. And by the way, when I was getting ready for this message, I was thinking to myself, man, if I had an advanced copy of the letter to the Galatians and Paul asked me to kind of give him like some edits and help him kind of craft the message for the Galatians, I would be like, dude, like this is coming off like a little bit harsh, you know? Like, these are all really brand new within the last couple of years. Christians, a lot of them don't know what they're hearing. They're just trying to do their best. And I don't think anyone's like has any sort of ill will or bad motives here. It's just some confusion that's happening or whatever. I probably would have softened the blow a little bit. Uh, but it's a good thing that I wasn't given that because clearly I'm just a human. And, um, and this letter has been inspired by the Holy Spirit. And what we have here is exactly what God intended. So it's good that this sort of intensity and urgency is here in the text. And he's saying, it's, it's shocking to me that you abandon my teaching so quickly. And then he refers to what's here in verse, in verse 6. In verse 6 is the grace of Christ. The grace of Christ, which is kind of a unique construction in the New Testament. We hear a lot about the grace. We hear a lot about Messiah. These are the grace of Christ together. It's kind of unique to Galatians. Um, But he's probably referring to verses 3 and 4, which is what we covered last week, if you were here, where he says, Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for me and who rescued me from the grip of the kingdom of darkness. And so basically, he's, that is a, this is a hyperlink back or a callback, if you will, to those couple of verses that details out the grace of Christ, the great forgiveness of God that he accomplished on the cross. And the story is, of course, that because of Jesus' great mercy and love for you, he was willing to vacate his throne and live a sinless life that we couldn't live and die on the cross so that we could be forgiven of our sin, made right with God again. And on top of that, he's also 
rescuing us from the present evil age and the kingdom of darkness that has a grip on our world. He's saying, you know what? No, you are mine now. You belong to me now. You're in my family. I have been victorious. Therefore, you are victorious too. That is what Paul means there by verses, in verses 3 and 4. So he's calling back to that. He's saying, why did you forget it so quickly? Why did you abandon it so quickly? Man, the grace of Christ is what holds us together, and it what, it's what enables us to be in, in the family of God. And then he says this, evidently, some people are throwing you into confusion. Those are the people we've been talking about here. And they're trying to pervert the gospel of Christ. So he says, you abandoned my teaching. That's surprising to me. And he says, you, you're, you're actually being confused by. I didn't expect you to be confused by another gospel. But this is where we find ourselves. And as I was reading this, it it just brought to my mind, again, one of our goals here at Riverbend this year is that we would grow into deep maturity in our discipleship to Jesus. And if you've been walking with Jesus for any length of time, then it's just, it's time to become well-versed in the story of the scriptures, the doctrine of the scriptures, to know what is true, what is not true. And that's part of what we're doing here. I I consider it a huge responsibility. I do not take lightly to accurately sort of work out the the teachings of the scriptures with you under the submission of our elder team and the leaders here at Riverbend. We want to understand the depth of God's word and understand it together. So we can't claim ignorance anymore. We, We actually need to grow deep in our discipleship, and that's what we intend to do. Um, he says, and, and you've, been, you've been persuaded by these people. And then he goes on to say this. He says, but even if we or an angel from heaven should preach a gospel other than the one that we preach to you, let them be under God's curse. And as we have already said, now I say again, if anyone is preaching to you a gospel other than what you accepted, let them be under God's curse. Okay, so there's a lot there. Um, I'm judging based on the culture that we all come from, that there's parts of this that sort of give you pause and you're sort of wondering about. And trust me, I wonder about them too. Um, But he's basically saying, okay, you've been deceived. You've been persuaded. But then there are the ones who have deceived you, the deceivers. And they're the ones who are truly to blame. And they actually need to come to repentance because they're they're on shaky ground or they're in a dangerous place. And this reminds me, of course, of James chapter 3, which is uh, another letter from James, probably the brother of Jesus, writing to the church. And he says, hey, don't many of you consider yourselves to be teachers? Because teachers are held to a more strict judgment. And again, I just want to say um, that one of the important ministries that we do here at Riverbend is uh, learning the scriptures and teaching the scriptures together. And we certainly um, don't take that responsibility lightly. Um, so why I have continuing my education and voraciously reading as much as I possibly can because I know one day I will stand before God and have to give an account for the things that I've said and taught here and the way that I've come off to you and the way that I conducted my life. And I want to be able to hold my head high and be able to say I did it honestly, not perfectly, but to the best of my ability. And that is the requirement of anyone who teaches here at Riverbend because we consider it a super, super high calling. And we don't want to be teaching any sort of a false doctrine, just as these ones are being accused of. And so again, part of the responsibility Paul puts on the Galatian church, hey, you guys, I taught this clearly to you. I'm shocked you abandoned it. You were persuaded. You were confused. The ones who are truly to blame are the ones who are propagating the message and causing it to spread. 
And then uh, Paul goes on and sort of doubles down on that. And he says, he's saying, like, if we or if I, Paul, if I start sharing a message or a gospel to you that is different than the one that you've already received, then I am under God's curse as well. Like, I'm not immune to this. I, I am just as culpable before God. If I teach the gospel that isn't the true gospel, I'm culpable before God. And we need that sort of, I guess, if you say, you could say like reverence, like in a, in a time and a space where you can download and listen to 100 podcasts in a week if you chose to. And there's so much content that's out there that we sort of teach it and receive it frivolously. And in fact, Timothy tells, warns of a time, when people will accumulate for themselves teachers who just tickle the ears and tell you what you want to hear. That's a direct quote from Paul in 2 Timothy. And, and we live in that time. And on one hand, it's a huge gift because there's great work out there. But then at the other t- on the other hand, I think we have lost some of the reverence for the sacredness of the word of God and how we receive it and internalize it. And so um, if I'm belaboring this point, it's for this reason. Because we want, as your leaders, to be able to stand before God and say, man, we, we did what we could. Um, one of my mentors uh, will say that, um, he says, um, I, I, I'm, I'm basically sure that 10% of my theology is wrong. The problem is I just don't know what 10% it is. <laughs> and that's the, I, by the way, I, I think that's the exact right attitude to have about our understanding of the scriptures because we have bias, we have a limited IQ, we have limited wisdom, we come from a personality and a family culture and a theological system and everything else. And so it's very real and it's very true that uh, we can't have everything right. And I am not, I'm the first one to say that I, that I don't have everything right. And truly every scholar, pastor, and author from generations past that I appreciate holds what they know about the scriptures pretty loosely because of how grand and how supernatural and how divine and how vast and how incredible it is, we cannot possibly be an expert and be perfect on all of it. And um, I think that's the sentiment that we should carry with us, especially those of us who consider ourselves Christian leaders. And then he repeats himself for emphasis. He repeats himself for emphasis. And, and uh, again, Paul is again urgently and boldly bringing this claim to the Galatian church. So there's a lot of debate, as I'm sure you can imagine, around that phrase, let them be under God's curse. Because what we believe about that and how we internalize and see that really tells us something about the character of God. And I wish we had time to nuance it out. In all of my study, I've found that there's actually quite a bit of different viewpoints on this particular phrase and how it's used. The word curse is used like a bunch of different ways in the Bible, so it's not, there's like no clear-cut answer. So I did as much research as I could, and at the end of that research, I kind of felt like, man, I, I don't know if I truly have come to the absolute correct interpretive conclusion. I'm not exactly sure what to think about these couple of words. Again, just me um, clearly laying out for you um, my, my, in, my, my um, incomplete knowledge. Um, so if you have questions about what that means, just ask Danny or, or Brooke. Just give the hard balls to them. Just keep giving me the soft balls. That would be really kind of you. But as much as I don't feel confident making an interpretive conclusion on what those couple of words mean, there are many things that I think we know for certain 
the sentiment and the heart behind this passage is pretty clear. And um, I think you can distill it into this one statement. There are layers of blessing that we receive in the presence of God that we will never experience if we withhold our presence from others because of unforgiveness. So again, Paul is getting at um, the, 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 the problems with the quasi-gospel of the Jewish Christian leaders of his day. But the layers beneath it that matter to us are that essentially there are these people who are saying, you can't belong. There are these hurdles, there are these obstacles, there's these things that you have to give up and you have to do in order for us to claim you as one of our sisters and brothers. And it wasn't Jesus-related. It wasn't something that Jesus taught, and it wasn't straight from the heart of God. It wasn't the grace of God. It was keep earning it, keep earning your salvation. And so because of that, um, Paul is basically saying that is a completely different gospel. And for us, we need to be sure that we are not withholding our presence from others or basically putting people on the outside of our circle, social circle, church circle, or whatever, because of a difference or a, of a uh, disagreement that we might share. We are the people that in a time of insane polarization who should have what it takes within us by the Spirit of God, the grace of God, to foster unity, to cultivate uh, a sense of, yes, of course we disagree about all manner of things, but we are all one in Christ. Amen. Thank you. Yes. Finally, verse 10. He says this, and this is where we'll end today. Am I now trying to win the approval of human beings or of God? Or am I trying to please people? If I were still trying to please people, I would not be a servant of Christ. So I, I, I love this. I think this is, a, this is a super important point for us to understand and again, I would just venture to guess that we need a little bit more of this in, in our culture today. Um, we, by nature, want to please people. We want people to like us for all kinds of good reasons. But what Paul is experiencing is that for the sake of the gospel, he's getting opposition from all sides. He's getting op opposition from outside of the church, people who literally are trying to kill him. And on the other side, he's got people inside of the church who are uh, contradicting him, accusing him, going and undoing the work that he's done at the different churches and trying to do a different work and building on a different foundation. And I just got to imagine, it is so, it's got to be so frustrating and so offending. So uh, it would cause so much offense to, to go through what Paul is going through. But he's had to be razor clear in his conscience and know what he's up to. He's like, I'm actually not going after the approval of other human beings. That's not what my mission is. That's not why I'm here. I was commissioned by God. I was saved by God's grace. And he gave me this message. I'm an apostle. I'm called to this. And he gave me this gospel to uphold. And the gospel I will uphold at all costs, regardless of how people treat me or how I'm seen by others. I'm trying to please him, not people. I'm trying to please the God of everything. And again, there's tons of pressure here in the church, especially now, to join this or that pet project. Oh, man, the last couple of years, I can't tell you uh, how many people have, have chosen to no longer call themselves a part of our church because of something that we were not willing to say or, 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 or not say around the pandemic. That's really tragic, and you know, I, I sometimes have a hard time thinking about and talking about it because, it, it, I'll be honest, it has hurt, my, it has hurt me, it has. The reality is, is I think I'm just more deeply 
saddened by the state of the church in the West where we're willing to make divisions around our vibes, around our personalities, and around our political leanings and our ideologies, and all of these things that Jesus did not say were primary. And he actually says that that's a different gospel. He's saying putting other things in front of Jesus, that is a different gospel. And so I'm saying that to you, not pointing fingers at others. I'm saying that to you as like a point of, this is a point of no return for our church, where we want to deal honestly with the ways that we've broken fellowship with others over things that are not gospel related. Confess those things. Go introspective for a minute and actually say, no, 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 that's not who we are. We're united by Jesus, so anything that might threaten us to break us apart does not hold a candle to Jesus. And he is the most significant thing. Peter went through this same realization in Acts chapter 15. You're going to hear him. This is like at the height of the debate between the Judaizers and Paul and Barnabas. And Peter's there sort of as a broker, if you will, uh, to the different opinions. And then he gets up and he says this. The apostles and elders met to consider this question. After much discussion, Peter got up and addressed them. Brothers, you know that some time ago, God made a choice among you that the Gentiles might hear from my lips the message of the gospel and believe. And God, who knows the heart, showed that he accepted them by giving them his Holy Spirit, just as he did to us. He did not discriminate between us and them, for he purified their hearts by faith. Now then, why do you try to test God by putting on the necks of Gentiles a yoke that neither we nor our ancestors have been able to bear? No, we believe that it is through the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ that we are saved just as they are. So follow the logic. He's saying, listen, the old covenant Mosaic law was something that we had to follow as the Jewish, as the people of Jesus, or excuse me, the people of God, the, 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 the people of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And we were not able to follow the law. And that's exactly why Jesus came. In fact, Jesus was the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, and he's promising that through his grace now, we have this new opportunity to experience life. And so now he's saying, why would we ever test God by putting a yoke on someone else that we ourselves could not bear? He says, it's by the grace of God and the grace of God alone that we are saved. And of course, probably the root of that is a hesitancy to accept and welcome and celebrate and bring to the center people that we differ from, disagree with, and are opposed to in one form or another. But he's saying, in Jesus, none of that counts. None of that matters. We can disagree and disagree passionately, but we are all united in Jesus. And that is most significant. Now, it's good that we mention Peter here and commend him. Because in the next chapter, Paul is going to lay into Peter. Uh, because he's guilty of some of the same stuff that he's saying these, these uh, Judaizers is. So he's... He's going to get after them. So I just wanted to like lay a little bit of the groundwork because we we'll get there in a couple weeks. I want you to know Peter's a good dude who understands the scripture and knows Jesus and is a, a leader in the kingdom, but he's also flawed as we are. So it's possible um, to be distracted or to be confused by this stuff. So let me just peel back the final layer for today, and then we're going to respond with some reflection. The whole message of Galatians 
is laid out right here. That breaking fellowship with other Jesus people over something that is not the gospel, that's another gospel. Because we're making the thing that we disagree about or the thing that's different about us, we're making that primary instead of the work of Jesus on the cross that's meant to bring us together. So another way of looking at that is this is your subconscious idol. The thing that you hold most dear to you that you're willing to put in front of Jesus and the gospel. And be like, yeah, we have Jesus in common, but I can't deal with you because you think this about Trump or whatever. That is the unique set of questions that we need to wrestle with. And I want, I want you to hold me to this because through the course of this series, it's very tempting to say like, see, look how they got it wrong. See, look how they got it wrong and how they got it wrong. But again, that's totally missing the point, right? The point is we look within ourselves and we say, how have I harbored these feelings of unforgiveness? How have I harbored this sort of pretentious attitude towards this issue or that issue? How have I let my tribal identity or my media outlet of choice persuade me or convince me to think X about a person, vilify them, make them the enemy instead of saying, they're my brother or sister in Christ. And by God's grace, we are both saved and brought into the family. So the question is, what's primary and what's secondary? Again, the subconscious idol is when we make things that should be secondary and we force them into the primary place in our heart. What we're saying is, what's primary and what's secondary? Our only true allegiance is to Jesus. Our only true allegiance is to Jesus. And we need to like Paul, have that laser clear solidarity of spirit. I'm not actually here to please that person or that person. Wow, that really hurt when they stoned me. Wow, it's really bothersome that they came and undid all the work that I did. Man, I just can't believe that they're contradicting me like this. How can they not see the scriptures like I see it? He's experiencing all of that, but at the same time, he's saying, you know what, I'm, 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 I have a really clear idea of who I'm here to please, and it's not them, it's him. We need that same kind of solidarity. So making your politics, your tribe's ideology, your family culture, your vibe or whatever, um, making that primary, it's, it's the subconscious idol and you're putting that in front of Jesus. So one of the things I've noticed, which is kind of tragic, is that we have focused in these last couple of years on the big meta-narrative, meta-narratives in culture that we have no control over, by the way. Like the way that AI works and your, the algorithms that kind of get you sucked into your social media apps, the way that clickbait works, the way that news media outlets work, that, those meta-narratives that are out there in the world, you don't have control over those. You cannot change those. However, what the scripture is teaching us here is that when we make Jesus primary, when we make him center, we're focused on the practices that Jesus taught us, which was having people over for dinner caring for them, praying for them, communing with them, celebrating the Lord's table with them, worshiping with them. These are all individual and corporate communal acts that are meant to unite us under Jesus. And so this is why it's so critical for you and I to live in the habits and the rhythms and the practices of Jesus because they anchor us to one another as they anchor us to Christ. So we practice table fellowship, prayer, communion, community, generosity, all of those things because they anchor us to one another and to Christ. And that secures the bond that we share. 
So here's the reflections. We need to, out of anyone on the earth presently, we should be the ones who are able to listen well. We should be the ones who are able to listen well, particularly to people that we disagree with. Sociologists have long done studies about this, that most people cannot discern between being loved or being listened to. For most people, they're completely interchangeable things. To be listened to feels like being loved and vice versa. So that is something that is completely within your power and should be what we're all about as the people of Jesus. Um, we can disagree without, without hostility or vilifying the other person. Man, this used to be normal. This used to be a part of church culture. And this used to probably be about in more than in, in our broader culture as well. But today, for some reason, we can't handle it. We need to be the kinds of people who, like, you're, listen, you're going to completely, if you haven't disagreed with me already today, which you probably have, some of you, like five or ten times, we're going to disagree about stuff. But that doesn't mean we break fellowship over that. We are united under Jesus. And lastly, focus your relationship with one another on him, not on whatever bandwagon you're on, whatever pet project you're, 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 you're passionate about. What did you read in the Bible this week? How, how are you experiencing God this week? What has he been speaking to you? What's your prayer life like? How, how are you with all of that? How can I be praying for you? Like, make that the substantive part of your relationship with the people that you celebrate the Lord's table with. And that is going to make Jesus more primary. That's going to lift him up as more significant. And the, the things that divide us or the things that are different about us will begin to fade. We've given way too much audience and way too much of our attention to the things that divide. It's time to change that. And while you can't change the meta-narratives of culture, you can totally change where you put your attention and what you choose to focus on. And if we share that value and that conviction, our community will absolutely and completely change. And that's what's in front of us. So uh, let me just end with this. If you're frustrated like, with tribalism like I am, I'm really happy to hear that you say that. Now I'm putting words in your mouth. But I'm basically assuming that, that we're, we're frustrated with tribalism. We don't like the fact that we can't get on Facebook anymore. We don't like the fact there's certain people we, we'd rather not bump into at the grocery store because they've made it really clear that they disagree with us and for them, that's a deal breaker in our relationship. It's hard. You're frustrated with it like I am, fantastic. Do you have the humility of heart to not point fingers, to resist the impulse to say, yeah, the problems that we are going through are that person's fault or that group's fault. And can you instead look at your own heart and life and can you ask the Holy Spirit to gently convict your heart to where you've allowed things to become primary that really need to be secondary? And can you choose to, as the language of Romans, Colossians, and Hebrews say, fix your eyes on him. Fix your eyes on Jesus. That's the call. Are you with me? Let's stand and let's pray. Father, we love you so much and we're so grateful that it wasn't because of anything that we did to earn your favor, your love. You just lavished your grace on us. And the scriptures say 
By the way, friends, scriptures say that in the age to come, he's going to be unfolding for us the manifold sort of treasury of his grace towards us in Christ Jesus. In other words, the level at which you understand grace now is phenomenal and hopefully will grow over the course of your life. But in the age that comes, his, his manifold treasury of grace is going to be unfolded for you in the age to come. It's beautiful. And so Jesus, we, we know, we're, we're, we're clear on this. Gospel is that you are king and you saved us and you rescued us by your grace and by your love. And we do not have any business withholding belonging and membership in your family for any reason whatsoever. It's the gospel of Jesus and the gospel of Jesus only. God, we want that to become primary in our hearts. We admit that we've been pulled to the right and left here and there, but we want to make the gospel primary in our hearts. If that's you, if you're like being stirred in that, I just want to encourage you Put your hands in the air and just say, yes, God, that's me. I want to make the gospel primary in my life. I want Jesus to be primary in my life. Yeah, get those hands up. You're just agreeing with him. You're saying, you know what? Yeah, your plan is the right one. Your kingdom is the right one for me. God, I confess the ways that I've pushed people away because of differences that we have. Instead of welcoming them as a part of our family and as a part of your family. We want to be like you in this way. So Holy Spirit, come. We're going to respond now, church. This is very, again, easy to start slipping into the what's next mode, but right now is not for producing anything. Right now is not for achieving anything. Right now is for reflecting and responding. Reflect on what God's spoken to you. Reflect on and, and respond in worship. Jesus taught us to come to the table of communion as a unifying thing. So symbolic, we all eat from the same loaf. We all drink from the same cup. That symbolizes, of course, that we're all saved by Jesus, but we're all one in Jesus as well. And when we sing our song, we're singing a song of heaven that, as we read a couple of weeks ago, is going to include every single person in Christ from every tribe, tongue, and nation. So we start now. We don't hold back. We give it our all in faith, knowing that as we sing it, it unites us to you, unites us to Jesus, and it anchors us to one another. We're also going to take some time to, to pray as well. There's people in the back of the room who are going to pray for you. If you need to say yes to Jesus, if you need the gospel to transform your life, or if you have anything whatsoever you need to receive prayer for, it could be uh, physical healing, it could be emotional healing, it could be for a loved one you're estranged to, whatever the case, please go to the back of the room, the praying hands, we'd love to pray for you. And then let's all respond together in praise of Jesus. Amen.